This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. Let's go to the bullpen with Adam the Bull on the Bet Rivers Network. We're talking with the great Terry Francona. I know everybody poo-poos baseball fights. They're like, hey, you go out there and everybody's just talking yeah. and shoving. But when you get out there, man, those guys are big. They they get after yeah. it. And when they get after it, man, look out. It makes you a little nervous. Robin Ventura still won't talk about Nolan Ryan to, to this day. He, he wants <laughs> nothing with that conversation. Listen to the bullpen with Adam the Bull on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Mike Missanelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Good afternoon, everybody. It is the Mike Missanelli Podcast. Not in a good mood today. Uh, it's just like all oh, Eagle fans who are at the Delaware Valley are not in a good mood. They got demolished yesterday by the San Francisco 49ers, who were hell-bent on revenge after they bitched and moaned for one year straight. And even in the last week, couldn't hold up uh, their trash talk with Debo Samuel. And they, guess what? They walked the walk. They came into Lincoln Financial Field and smashed the Eagles 42 to 19. Now, listen, we looked at the game. We saw the line of the game. We knew it was probably a precarious situation for the Eagles. I did not expect a beatdown. And this opens the door to major questions about what the Philadelphia Eagles are right now. And we're going to get to all of them. Here uh, is the big question for me. Can the Eagles now go to San Francisco to win an NFC title game? We talked last week about this would be one of the ramifications if they lost this game and somehow managed to lose control of that number one seed, which still has to play out, by the way. Yesterday didn't decide that, and we'll get into that in a second. But I just want you to close your eyes and picture it now if it winds up where the 49ers and the Eagles wind up with the same league record and the Niners win the tiebreaker as we go through the playoffs and these teams keep winning, the inevitable path is Eagles and 49ers NFC title game in San Francisco. All right, so just put that on hold for a second because here's the bigger question about this. And let me, let me just say that the game next week against Dallas can take that out of the equation. All right. I'm not, listen, I, I'm not giving them three losses automatically. Their th- third loss would have to come next week against the Cowboys. But the backdrop of that is when we looked at the schedule, and we always looked at the schedule, we go, when's the, you know, normally the, the Dallas Cowboys and Eagles are going to split during the regular season. I don't know when the last time the Eagles swept the Dallas Cowboys. I haven't done the research on that. And it is very possible that they can go down to Dallas and win that game, which would really ease the pain of this particular loss. But here's the bigger question. And you saw it yesterday. And I think we've been conning ourselves this whole year about how good the Eagles' defense is. They're not good beyond their front line. They're mediocre beyond their front line. And and here's what I saw yesterday. If they're not getting pressure on the quarterback, then they're not stopping anybody on the back end. And the 49ers played that up to a T. 
They had a great combination of run and pass. Didn't do anything that dramatic. He made all the throws that he needed to make, the short throws, the little slants. They exploited the middle of the field. That's what he does. But let's face it. If they're not getting home and getting pressure on the quarterback, they've got inferior linebackers. Their corners have not played that great. Their safeties have not played that great. Their slot corners have not played that great. So that's what I saw yesterday. They got exposed in the middle of the field, and this is problematic against a good team. Now, I didn't want to believe the people that were saying this whole year, including my partner on the post-game show, Seth Joyner. Oh, you know what? They play a good team. This stuff is going to come back and haunt them. Yeah, yeah, everybody looks at Yeah, well, they won the game. That's the most important thing. But sometimes the manner of how you win the game is an important thing, too. And so when you measure them up against good teams, and frankly, there's only two teams that they have to worry about in the NFC. And the 49ers are certainly one of them, and the Cowboys are the other. So it's not like uh, they've opened a you know this Pandora's box to the that they're going to lose to anybody that they play. They're not. They're still among the top teams in the NFC. There are three of them. You can count them. There's the 49ers and the Eagles and the Cowboys, and that's about it. And I'm not going to give any respect to the Lions right now. So um, that's the big question on on the backdrop here of of this game. Uh, I don't know what to think about them right now when I project what the season is supposed to be because we're not looking at them finishing with a certain record at the end of the season. I mean, that'll be wonderful, right? They finish with a 14-3 and record. That looks on the surface like it's good. However, if that's a 14-3 and where they don't get the number one seed and they have to go to San Francisco, and I do believe that's going to be what happens because the Cowboys have a couple games that I believe they're going to lose on their schedule. So they're going to be taken out of the equation even if they beat the Eagles next week. So I'm focused on that team that wore the red yesterday. Now, if we look at the game and the way it started, and we're going to get into this whole thing. But obviously, in this game, the Eagles did not take advantage of their first two possessions. They went on two 12-play possessions to start the game. They only got six out of it. And more egregious one was where they didn't get the touchdown on their second drive because they had the 49ers in flux. The 49ers didn't look like they knew what was going on in the first part of that game. In the first quarter of the game, Minus six total yards for the 49ers. And then all of a sudden the floodgates open because the Eagles did not put that kind of pressure on them. The Niners made a couple of stops, which energized them defensively. They energized the offense. And so the offense not being behind by a couple of scores, maybe you get 13 and nothing or even 14 and nothing. Instead, we're in a manageable position. And then they got cooking because they started running the ball. And they've got two dynamic weapons that the Eagles could not stop yesterday. Okay, forget about Purdy, who's been amazing and, and amazingly efficient. But Debo Samuel, who talked the most trash, busted they ass yesterday. And so did Christian McCaffrey. And I understand there aren't many backs in the league like Christian McCaffrey. But they ran the ball at the Eagles. And when the Eagles have a four-man front, you're out going to be able to run against them. The only way they can stop the run is with a five-man front. And with a five-man front... That depletes them on the back end. So they've got a whole bunch of problems right now when you measure them against a good team. All right, let me get to one more issue, uh, and then we're going to go rehash this game uh, in its uh, entirety and to look at the things that went wrong and the things that uh, that should have happened in the game. There is, of course, a lot of people are talking about it today, even nationally, is the big Dom DeSandro issue 
on the sidelines. And, and I'm going to give you my honest opinion. I'm not going to hold back, and I'm not going to be a Philadelphia homer because I've seen on social media how Philadelphia fans love to pump their muscles when it comes to stuff like that. Oh, we're doing the same thing. Oh, blah, blah. You know, it's, it's that false bravado that we sometimes get involved in. It's Philadelphia. I get it. That doesn't make it right. On that play, obviously, Dre Greenlaw gets the flag already for slamming Devontae Smith to the ground. There is no way, and Dom DeSandro has no business being involved in that scrum on the sidelines. Has no business doing it. And I know people look at it like, yeah, he's sticking up for our team, yeah. He is the director of security for the team. Basically, he's on the sidelines to protect Nick Sirianni. I don't know why. I don't know why Nick Sirianni needs constant protection on the sidelines, but he's a presence, and he's been there for a lot of years, and everybody loves Big Dom. I get it. He's the fixer. He's Winston Wolf. I understand what he does for the Eagles. He should not be involved in a football situation. He is not a coach, and I looked at that, and I said, that's embarrassing. And, and the other guy, the coach on the other side, was right to point it out. And so what happens is, Greenlaw gets thrown out of the game. He did what he did, okay? He's the idiot that cost his team by getting thrown out of the game, by going back at Dom DeSandro. DeSandro shouldn't be get, coming in there saying, hey, that's bullshit, and, and, and using his hand to push away Greenlaw. I can't believe that that happened. And so uh, he gets th- thrown out of the sidelines. But that was a better trade. For the Philadelphia Eagles, obviously, because they got a premier linebacker out of the game. And that gave them momentum. And they went down and they scored after that. I get it. I thought it was disgraceful that the guy got involved. He is not a coach. He does not belong close to that play. He's a guy that should be in the background and not be involved in it. Now, I know a lot of people are going to disagree with me. And I read, you know, I look at social media. Uh, like all that, but I just had to get this off. I said it last night on the post-game show. When it happened, I said, what is he doing in there? He doesn't belong in there. Get out of there. Come on, dude. you got to be smarter than that. You can't be this this macho Philadelphia Rocky character and influence a game. It looks bad. And we're going to see what's going to happen. Maybe they do suspend him. I mean, that kid that gave the cell phone to Tyreek Hill got, got fired because he got involved in the game and he had no business being involved in the game. So we'll see what happens. But let me go to producer Darren. Uh, the Dom DeSandro issue aside, what was your reaction? Because you were at the game and it, it must not have been very fun to be in that stadium. <laughs> it was one of the most miserable experiences of my life yesterday. It really was. All day, just miserable. But it, real quick on the Dom thing. Um, he, you're right. He has no business being there. My question is, what is his role on the sideline? Because I talked to a couple people this morning that tell me that sideline security is 100% part of his job description. Now, I don't think that means getting in the face of another player. Even if that means, even if you want to stretch that as far as you can stretch it, his only job at that point is to grab his own player, maybe, and pull his own player off the field. Not go at it and touch or go at he it. He doesn't have player. any business touching his own player. He's not a coach. What does sideline security mean? It means nothing. That's it a means good nothing I don't to know the how game. It has nothing to do with the game. I agree. I just don't know how his role is defined by this team. 
Because Dom seems to have his hands in on it. Listen, forget about how the team defines him. The league defines it. There is no other team that's going to have somebody who is not intimately involved with the team on the coaching staff get involved in something like that. He's an ornament on the sidelines. He should not even be close to any kind of a situation with a player. What does sideline security mean? He's got to police the game, including the players on the field? Stop it. Let's get let's drop this subject. I want to, right, I want to get on. your analysis of the game. I thought all right, so there's a couple things with this game. They, they, they lost this game for two main reasons. And I'm, we'll talk about the injuries and the health status of this team in a minute. But the weak point of the San Francisco 49ers is their offensive line. They've got an all-pro, all-world right tackle and four other guys who might start for Temple. So they did not take advantage of what their weak point was. Not enough stunts, not enough blitzes. They should have been all over that offensive line. And the other thing is defensively, and yes, these linebackers were lost. Morrow looked like he had never, he hadn't played a game in 15 years. He was being turned around. He was missing tackles, whiffing open open field. Even when he did make contact, God forbid he rap. The tackling on that for this team yesterday was atrocious. You have to tackle better. You have to tackle a top team. A team with Debo Samuel and Christian McCafferty and George Kittle. You can't just bump into these guys. All right, let's, that, let's isn't look, the, that isn't the Jets offense out there. That's not the let's, Colts let's offense look, out let's there. Let's look closer at this. Are you trying to get blood from a stone? Those oh. guys are what they are. All three of those linebackers, including Cunningham, didn't play because of an injury yesterday, were not part of the original roster. They were added because guys, because of attrition at the position. These guys aren't NFL quality players. They were forced into battle, which Can't, brings up the bigger issue. I agree with For you. For years and yes. years and years, the Eagles have shirked that position. That's correct. Now, listen, I get that they have a priority scheme. Their priorities are that that's not an important position. That running back is not an important position, and their priority positions don't include those two positions, especially linebacker. So here we are right now when their middle of the field is exposed, when they can't use a four-man front because a good rushing team will chop it up. That's the issue right now. The Eagles can't do anything about it, except they have to sign Shaq Leonard, and we don't even know if he can play anymore. But they put themselves in a desperate situation, just like they put themselves in a desperate situation, and they had to bring in Bradley Roby. And then they had to bring in Kevin Byer. And now the same thing is happening to the Eagles, where they're going to have to bring in Shaq Leonard. They, they have no choice but to bring him in. And he's sitting there going, oh, my value just went up. Looky here. I could dangle. How about I sign with the Cowboys? And the Eagles go, wait, we need a guy. <laughs> Yeah, you would have thought that, the, that Shaq Leonard with an injured back is is now could be the possible savior. They're desperate. Game. They no, they put themselves in that situation. Now they they drafted a linebacker a couple of years ago. It hasn't worked out. I don't even know if the guy can play. We haven't even had a chance to see him play in the Kobe Dean because of the injury. I firmly but, believe he can play. He just needs a little more lead in his head. Okay, I, I don't believe he can play. I don't believe he's fast enough to, to make the difference in NFL, but that's beside the point. Look what they are right now with Christian Ellis and oh, Nicholas Morrow. Brutal. And, <laughs> so and now bad. you're coming down the home stretch. Now they can survive with these guys in the regular season. I'm only worried about one thing. When you have a really good team, the only thing that it boils down to, what, what matters most, and in fact, it's the only thing that matters, 
is your team good enough to win the big prize? So the steps to that are, okay, we would really have an advantage if we had home field advantage throughout and host an NFC title game at home. But this situation now puts that in peril. And the Cowboys game becomes a must-win next week. And how can we count on the Eagles beating the Dallas Cowboys twice in one year, especially at a place where the Cowboys have won 14 straight games? Your thoughts? It's a huge game. And, yeah, you and I talked about last week this team losing. I said at the time this team losing back-to-back games was preposterous. How could we even possibly entertain the fact Given they've been, they're ten and one this year. They hadn't lost a home game in, in over a calendar year, and so I look. Sunday's the biggest game of the year. I get it, but there's still four weeks of the season. There's still a whole month of the season after Sunday, and a lot of things can happen. The league itself is a week. Do you think the 49ers are without a doubt going to run the table? I doubt it. They've already lost three games this year. Injury. They lost three games because they were missing their two key players. They have not lost. Trent Williams and Debo Samuel have been there. They've they've got one tough game left against the Ravens. That's all they have. The Cowboys have considerably tougher games. I'm not even worried about the Cowboys. I think the Cowboys will play themselves out of that situation. The 49ers are a different story. They are, and they showed yesterday, the best team right now in the NFC. I agree with that. Okay. Well, then that's what worries me because inevitably to to get to a Super Bowl, you're going to have to beat them there. And from what we saw yesterday, the superior team then at home in an NFC title game with NFC title game revenge. Yesterday was mild revenge. NFC title revenge is a different story when you're playing it at home. This is what the Eagles have. And it's a shame because we were coasting along here. And that's why people looked at this game, ah, you know what, they can afford to lose. No, they couldn't. They couldn't afford to lose if you're looking at the big picture. So let's let's go the into this game, though, Mike. Uh, chapter and verse. All health. Who's healthy? Uh, let's, start, let's start off, obviously. The Eagles get into the red zone on, on their first drive of the game. They get three big third down conversions. And everybody's going, woohoo, looky here. Because 12 straight red zone drives for the Eagles had resulted in touchdowns. All right. They don't get it. They go up 3-0. Okay. I'm okay. You get points on the board. They come right back down the field after they get the Niners to go 3-0. and out, And they have another drive. And this is the drive that bothered me. Because when I'm looking at the drive, they converted a third and three. They converted a third and five. They're at the 29-yard line. They get a short pass to, to A.J. Brown. They're at the 14-yard line here. And then um, they, they go backwards. And, and uh, it's, Hertz gets sacked for 15 yards. Now, it's third and 21 at the 29. You've already got a field goal in the bag. I don't understand why the play isn't to throw the ball into the end zone at that point to try to make a strike. Instead, they do a check down short left side to Kenny Gamewell for eight yards. And they squander a chance to score a touchdown, which at the time you go, wow, but they're really holding the 49ers. And I'm thinking, the 49ers are eventually going to figure this out. I don't know what the hell they're doing on offense right now, but they're eventually going to figure it out. And they figured it out by running the ball to the left with Christian McCaffrey. And so when you squander what should have been a 14-point lead or, or even a, a 10-0 lead, that team, you allow that team to come back and take control. And, of course, in the second quarter, 
The 49ers, who had minus six yards in the first quarter, rally for 173 yards in the second quarter. They get the touchdown that puts them ahead. They get another one that puts them ahead 14 to six with with a, a, a 10 play 90 yard drive, uh, I might add, uh, with McCaffrey on the three yard run. Uh, and then uh, they go and they hit that guy. They got that touchdown uh, right before halftime to go up 14 to six. That was key for me because now they've got a little bit of a comfortable lead. But I thought it was really unusual that Eagle fans booed as they were coming off the field. Now, the game is 14 to six. I, I understand that they're disappointed that they didn't score touchdowns. It's a one score game at that point. I, were the boos appropriate? You were you were in the stadium. I, I, I don't were you boo. booing? I, no, I was not booing. Um, okay, what did you think when you heard the fans boo them as they went into halftime? Honestly, here's what I thought: it's a four twenty five game. It's seven o'clock at night. People have been drinking since eight o'clock in the morning. That's what I thought. <laughs> you want to know what I thought? That's what I thought. People were people were All pissed. Right. They're uh, drunk. That's fine. I, th- I listen. This is a team that game after game they've made adjustments in the second half and they've come back. Like I, I don't understand the reaction. Going into the half. Now, had you been able to project the future and see the second half in your brain, then the boos would have been appropriate going into the first half. I want to bring one thing to your attention, Mike, because a lot of people talk about Hassan Reddick and why he's underpaid and this and that. And you mentioned something last night that's been bothering me for a while with him. You mentioned something, I'm sorry, just now. They, they, They ran left, second quarter, third quarter. McCaffrey left all day. It bothers me. And this is why. Hassan Reddick doesn't get the Bosa deals and the and the, the end of the world deals, right? Because he is a left and only. You can't move him around. God forbid they, they're able to move Hassan Reddick to the right side in game or over center. He is such an athletic talent. Why don't they move him? Is he not capable? Well, he only has the right side bend. He's, he's, that, he's that great in the running game. I mean, he's, he's strictly a pass rusher. I don't know if he's going to. If he's help, help with the Christian. I mean, they get Josh Schwett. Josh Schwett's a pretty good player. He should be capable of stopping a run Josh on that Schwett. side. So Josh Schwett is a benefactor of other very, very good players. Okay. Uh, in any event, the 49ers, first drive of the third quarter results in another touchdown. And the big play in this game is what we're talking about. Ellis trying to cover McCaffrey out of the backfield. Uh, or, or was that Morrow? I, I forget who it was. But uh, McCaffrey gets out of the backfield on a linebacker, gets a 32-yard gain. They get it to the 12, and Debo Samuel has the reverse and the, the, the jet sweep reverse for the touchdown. Um, I'm looking at this statistic. It said Jalen Hurts has had six straight wins when facing a 10-point deficit. So at 21-6, to six, I'm going, well, that's a little more than 10. Uh, so we'll see what happens. And what happens is a little bit of a momentum switch because Trey, Trey Greenlaw, who's a very good linebacker, their linebackers are exceptional. There's a difference between the 49ers linebackers and what the Eagles do. Gets a little crazy, lets emotions get the best of them, and slams Devontae Smith. A total a, a needless play, which flags 15 yards, and then he gets into the scrum with the Sandro. There's another 15, and he gets thrown out of the game. Uh, and so the momentum of that, because the crowd is now buzzing, they love that kind of thing. And they get it to 21 to 13 because the tush push twice, they run it uh, and they complete the drive. 
uh, and it's 21 and 13. Now here's where your defense has to uh, step up. You desperately need a stop here. And the 49ers answered, and it was a great answer. The 49ers came right down the field. McCaffrey had a big run, and they hit Debo uh, in the middle. He shakes off Morrow, 48-yard gallop for the touchdown. In that play, if you look at the replay, there may have been a hold on Blankenship, who came over to try to make the tackle. Not called. It's 28-13. to That was their fourth straight TD on four straight possessions. Uh, and at that point, you're, 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 not, you're thinking, okay, well, this is not their day. And it turned out not to be their day because the Eels had a punt on the next drive. And, and the Niners drove again. This was at the point in time where Hertz goes into the locker room and with a little concussion protocol. And they're thinking, well, that's, this is wor- the worst thing that could happen here. He, he gets banged up. He, might, he missed the Dallas game. All of a sudden, he comes out like a hero and gets back into the game. And the issue at that point, once the 49ers went ahead 35-13, to 13, when Juwan Jennings shoved Eli Ricks right out of the way to score that touchdown, uh, why was Hurts still in the game at that point with about five and change left? They're down 35-13. to 13. Sometimes Sirianni plays macho games, and I don't like it. I can tell you that Mariota did come in for a snap. I didn't know where – you're in the stands. You're not privy to everything. So my cousin texts me. He says, hey, uh, Hurts is in concussion protocol. And I see Mariota trudge out onto the field, at which point I turned to my daughter and said, let's go. We're out of here. I can't watch this guy. <laughs> I can't watch more. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know why at that point, I guess, there's a lot of guys that should not have played those last few minutes. DeAndre Swift should not have been in there. They treat him like kid gloves for three and a half quarters, and you got him in there with three minutes left, and you're down by 20. I don't get that at all. All right. That, that's, uh, you raised a good point. Anyway, the 49ers, um, the Eagles did score with Hurts in the game. They didn't get the two-point conversion, meaningless touchdown. All the, all the stuff is just like, you know, it's, it's, it's backwash at this point because the 49ers score again, and the Debo on a bubble screen which made it six straight possessions to get them to 42. Uh, if you look at the game statistics, you'll see that DeAndre Swift carried the ball six times. Now, I understand that you're behind in this game, but you're only behind by eight at halftime. And then once you get the touchdown after the DeSandro thing, you're still in the game. And the thing that bugs me about the Eagles and Brian Johnson or Nick Sirianni, who's ever cultivating this attack, is that they don't milk the run. What, what they do is if the run is stopped, they get away from it. Now, how many running backs do you see get stopped a lot? And all of a sudden, they'll break. Dodgers was the type of guy that if you, if you get him, the, you know, the, the Zeke, if you feed him from the bowl, you're maybe going to get a 30-yard pop out of it, but you got to feed him like Zeke right? Feed me. And they don't do that. And they didn't do it yesterday. And then the game got out of hand. Of course, they couldn't run the ball. But there were two occasions in the game, down eight at halftime, adjust, maybe establish the run, which they've done many times before. And then uh, certainly when they close the gap after that uh, green law situation. Yeah, when they don't run the ball, when they're not running the ball, right? They're not running the ball. There's no Dallas Goddard. The offense is unrecognizable to me. Like, I don't even know what they're trying to do. I, I don't know what they're trying to establish. I really don't. It, you know, in the NFL, in the pro level, you have to establish a rhythm. How many times this, this month have you and I talked about this offensive coordinator fails to establish a rhythm? You're not going to run the ball. You don't yeah. have your all-world all tight end. 
You better establish the run because as good as Brown and, and Smith are, you can't rely on those two, and that's it. Not running. All right. So uh, what's done is done. And as they said in Goodfellas many times, and, and, and that's that. And, and, and could do nothing about it. And, and so now Dallas Goddard, the potential is that he will be back, which is a huge addition because they look lost in balance without him. They can't get the ball to tight ends. They don't even attempt to throw the tight ends. He's so much uh, of their well-rounded uh, three-receiver type of situation. Um, that we'll see that that gives them an advantage. Uh, the, the line next week, Cowboys are a regular home field favorite at three. So I'm not getting any indication from the line. But it is a must win for the Eagles if they want to get the number one seed. It's just simple as that. If they lose that game next week, which was so I was so afraid of this game because I'm just doing it logically. How many times are you going to beat the Cowboys twice? Nobody, not even the staunchest Eagle fan, looks at that schedule and goes, okay, well, They'll, they'll sweep the Cowboys. What they say is, well, we'll split with the Cowboys. We'll sweep the, the, the Commanders. We'll sweep the Giants. They never say we'll sweep the Dallas Cowboys. So that's got me a little nervous, especially that they play well down there. Conversely, they haven't really beaten anybody in that streak, that home streak. So that's what it comes down to. But uh, I was afraid, and I talked about it for many days. If you lose this game, you can't look at it. It's like losing this game. You got to look at it like, wow, I got to win in San Francisco, the NFC title game to get to the Super Bowl. We'll see if that happens. There's many a slip from cup to lip, a wise man once told me. I don't know what that means, but it sounds pretty good. All right, so they get waxed 42 to 19. It's time to go around the NFL on the Mike Missinelli podcast, brought to us by Bet Rivers. Let's go around the NFL. The New England Patriots lost six to nothing. Now, I don't know how it's possible for players to actually tank a game. I think the coaches can influence the game like you can lose by playing the wrong people or doing the wrong schemes or whatever. I mean, that's an investigation that's way beyond my pay grade. But losing six nothing. And, and forget the other team. The other team's disgraceful, too. That team can only score six points, right? They win, they win six nothing, so they stay in line with the number one draft pick. And I'm looking at myself, I go, if I'm Robert Kraft, do I want Bill Belichick to be the head coach of this team with a new quarterback that you have to then cultivate for several years? By that time, Belichick would be 107. And I'm going... If I'm Kraft, I got to have a conversation and I got to farm them out. I got to say, Bill, this is the time for us to move on because I want to get a younger head coach who's a little quarterback savvy, who can cultivate the number one draft pick, whether it's Caleb Williams or whoever it's going to be for them. I can't have Belichick be the coach of a new era. I just can't. The time is done for Bill Belichick, and I think he should realize that, and he should be calling Josh Harris, who uh, loves his big names, and convince Josh that he should be coach of the Washington Commanders, who probably need that kind of direction because Rivera is going to go. All right, so just keep that in mind. Number two, the Lions go to nine and three. Now, they had a big lead over the Saints. They squandered it. They had to hold on for dear life to beat the Saints, who stink. That's Darren's favorite team, but they smell. So they wound up winning. They are now nine and three. So my question is this. You know, I'm talking about the playoffs. 
at how the Eagles are going to get to the NFC title game in San Francisco. Darren, I'll ask you this question. Are they in peril right now if they face the Lions in the playoffs? No, because I'm as good as he's played, as better as he's played, I should say. I do not worry about Jared Goff at Lincoln Financial Field. There's no team I really worry about at Lincoln. All right, so you're saying the Lions can't beat the Eagles, probably will be, have to be in Lincoln Financial Field. Yeah. If the game is at Detroit, I still think? think they win the game. Okay, and I, and I agree with you. I don't think the Lions are in the same category. Correct. But I think this has opened up now a different mindset. We never even thought about that. All of a sudden, we look up, and the Lions have only three losses. They're probably going to lose another game the rest of the season, so that'll take care of that. There's still a lot right, to the for this three, season, man. A lot can happen. Like how? What can happen? The Eagles are what, – what are the I, Eagles? I they're not going to lose time. Like – there is no well, the, the worst thing that the nothing. Eagles could do here. Whether the Eagles are going to lose what? Two I'm, more games? I'm not saying them. I'm saying any team, other team you're worried about. Look, the Eagles are a deep team. They're not as deep as the Niners, but after the 49ers, they're the deepest team. Okay? That's because there's so many bad teams in the NFL. Health, Mike. It's who is the healthiest team in the playoffs. Don't worry about well, other well, teams right now. You got to get the number one team. Don't worry about any other team. Don't worry I about don't Ryan, understand what your point Packers. is here. We're, we're only talking. I only asked you whether the Lions are in that play. We've decided already. You're only three teams in the NFC. No, I know. So what is you your point? Here? Lot, you know, you're worried about other teams. All of a sudden, you're looking up and thinking. Or I, I'm back. not worried. I'm saying there's only one other team that has a record that puts them in that realm. Okay. To me, that's an inferior team that's not akin to the 49ers, Eagles, or Cowboys. I'm just asking you the question. I got you. All right, let's move on. Aaron Rodgers. I'm tired of your bullshit, Aaron. I, I really am. You've been dangling this crap about you wanting to come back. I, who doesn't know that you want to make yourself the story so people talk about you, that that you would actually come back now to play for this crappy team and risk getting injured again? You dangled this and conned us the whole season. When I know your scheming little ass is looking at it and going, I'm only coming back. We've got a playoff chance. You think I'm coming back with this losing record? So stop it. Come out and say, you know what? I'm done for the season. I'm tired of you. I'm tired of Pat McAfee. I'm tired of all your enablers. There. Couldn't Number possibly four. agree more. I always, I've been saying this is the biggest non-story of the league this year. There was no way he was coming back. The Even Packers over the Chiefs yesterday. Um, <laughs> the, the AFC stinks, too. All right. I don't I look at the teams in the FC and go, who, who in the hell in that conference is reliable? The Ravens? The Chiefs? They're no longer reliable. Who are we talking about? This is the NFC's year. And the Chiefs to lose. I don't know if anybody saw the end of that game. You didn't, Darren. You probably caught them coming back. Two of the worst official calls you could ever you could ever see. First of all, they called personal foul when Mahomes got rocked out of bounds when he was still in bounds. To, to, it was almost like, yeah, well, hey, man, we, if the Chiefs can't lose. we got to make this call. But then there was a pass interference call that would have benefited the Chiefs that they didn't call. And the Chiefs do get one chance to win the game, and the pass is incomplete, and they wound up losing. They're not the same. They're not the same. They're no longer feared as the same. And nobody in the AFC, frankly, if you want to say the Ravens, you want to crown the Ravens, you want to crown the Miami Dolphins, then crown them, as Dennis Green would say. All right, number five. Oh, 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 oh. There is one person in America that probably picked this game. The Cardinals go into Pittsburgh and 
beat the lousy Steelers. And my man Kenny Pickett gets hurt. He gets dragged off. They get to put some shlemiel in there to finish the game. It was Mitchell Trubisky, by the way. Uh, and um, this is a time I think I should remind people that uh, we have a national contest at Bet Rivers where all our national hosts from around the, uh, the nation, from Chicago, from Cleveland, from L.A., uh, and, and we, we have a, a picking contest. It's a pick five contest, and we pick five games a week. For the second week this year, Darren, Mikey Miss with a 5-0 and o slate, including taking the Cardinals with some points. I don't know what the points were when we went off. Well to done. beat the state to, to to cover against the Steelers. Five and oh, thanks to my favorite team, the Arizona Cardinals. Gladiators, I salute you. <laughs> All right. That happens to be around the NFL today. It's now time, ladies and gentlemen, for Mike Unleashed. I got a lot to say to you people of Mike Unleashed. Let's start with the biggest controversy of the weekend. And that, of course, is the college football playoffs and the four teams that were selected and the one team or maybe even two that weren't selected. Florida State got nosed out of the four team playoffs despite finishing their season 13-0 undefeated. And the rationale was because they were at their third string quarterback and they weren't going to be as representative in a potential college football playoffs. The world has gone crazy over this that Florida State got hosed. So the teams are Michigan, Washington, uh, Texas, and Alabama, which uh, defeated Georgia and knocked them out. And Georgia has a beef, too, saying, well, we lost to the team that you got in the playoffs, and we're out also on our ass. Um, here's the thing, and I think people miss. This is all about matching up the best teams. When they put it together the NCAA basketball tournament, do they not consider – that a team star player might be injured and knock them down a seed or make them miss the playoffs because of that? Because they are trying to arrange for the best matchups possible. They got scared a couple of years ago when SMU got demolished. So they don't want a team that's going to get demolished in the playoffs. They want two games that are going to attract eyeballs. And of course, it's all about the numbers that watch. It's not about the committee trying to reward Florida State. If I was a Florida State grad, I'd be pissed too. But the reality is that this is all fueled by the entertainment dollar. And those people's responsibility are not to reward a team that may have deserved it, but to put forth the best matchups commercially. And the fact of the matter is, nosing out Florida State gives the best matchups commercially. Am I wrong or am I wrong? You're 100% right. Florida State, that was their biggest win of the year against Syracuse or Louisville. I mean, come on. They had a cupcake schedule. They should Well, that, that, listen, they have a beat. They didn't lose. They shouldn't be punished for not losing. However, what trumps that, what trumps the morality of that situation in this day and age is that playoff system was, was created to create a commercial buzz. And I that's agree. the number one priority. It's not rewarding a team anymore. The number one priority is the television commercial buzz. I'd be pissed too. Florida State got hosed. I think too late. But if I put myself too, in the Mike. committee, I go, I got a bigger master to serve here. <laughs> I'm not going to get popular in Florida State and shirk the, my, my commercial responsibilities because we sell this product. 
All right. We, we have to make it as appealing as possible. What about Georgia? I thought Georgia got hosed. I know they lost to Alabama in the SEC title game. It was their first Georgia loss. Georgia lost like to Alabama. Years. They lost to Alabama. If, if you take Alabama out, Alabama's going to get hosed. So what are you going to do? Alabama there's, should have no, got their doors blown the up by Texas. Recent, most, how can you put Georgia in the playoffs when they just lost to I, Alabama? I'm probably, yeah, if someone's got Georgia I, and Alabama you're putting in, and who are you taking out? If I had Washington to, I would or Texas? Texas? If I had to, I would take Texas. Come on. If you're, if how you're do you take Texas oh, out? First of all, I don't care that Alabama beat Georgia because that was Georgia's first loss in how long? It was a back and forth game, or it was a close game. If you're insisting that Alabama be in the Final Four, then Texas has got to go. Because Georgia's a much better team than Texas. Texas beat Alabama. Okay. So why is Alabama <laughs> there, Mike? <laughs> you can't put a team in that beat. Come on. You can't, you can't do that. I get it. You I, can't take Texas Georgia out. In a playoff game, destroys Texas and probably beats Alabama in the second round. Your strength is NFL. It ain't college, my friend. <laughs> All right? Let, let, let's, let's settle with that. All right, here is the other big Unleashed controversy. This is really interesting, and and nobody really uh, paid much attention to it, but I did. There was a golf tournament at the Hero World Class. It was in the Bahamas. Tiger Woods played in it. There was a controversy involving Colin Marikawa. Before his Sunday round, he was called into the offices from the practice range where they informed him that he was being assessed a two-stroke penalty as he goes into the Sunday round. And here's why. His caddy used an electronical device on the putting practice putting green to calculate the slope of the particular green. You're allowed to do that. What you're not allowed to do is take the data from that electronic instrument and transcribe it with written notes into your green book, which gives you the map of the pin placements and, and everything else. Who would find out about that? Well, the playing partner is the only one that probably is looking at that caddy's green book, seeing that he's got written material on that that has data from the electronic machine that they use to measure the slope on the practice screen. And the man playing with him is Matthew Fitzpatrick. Matthew Fitzpatrick was the one that informed the golf officials that this was done. Now, my question to you is, is Matthew Fitzpatrick a rat or is he a savior of the integrity of professional golf? Your thoughts, Darren? No matter what I say here, you're going to go the opposite way. I know you long enough. So uh, I'm going to just be honest. I with may you. not. Dude, I, man, I think he's a rat. I really do. I really do. I think he's a rat. I think that's, that's really crappy. It's a really crappy thing to do. It's not look, I first of all, it's a dumb rule. It's a stupid rule. The fact that you can't write that data down, what is the difference? Those are the things that bother people about golf, Mike. That rule. Right there is what bothers so many people about golf. Not me, but a lot of people. So I'm telling you, he's a rat. Okay. Uh, I don't disagree. Oh, okay. That's not- now, when I watch the golf, the golf commentators are really big on the uh, integrity and the sanctity of the game and all that. And, and I get their point that the uh, 
the purity of the game should come first. And that is your responsibility as a golfer, that when you see a playing partner do something illegal, like Patrick Reed in a sand trap or Dustin Johnson, or he made an indention, or when you see something like that, then you're supposed to, your, your duty is that you're supposed to report it because that technically is cheating. And what uh, uh, Morikawa did technically is cheating. In this particular situation, however, uh, unless I'm going head to head with that guy and his information is going to reduce my chances to win, what I would have done would have been, well, he couldn't have done it after the round. See, that, this is where you get into it. My my instincts were if it happened in the third round, I would not say anything to the official, but I would go up to them and say, listen, I know you got this written material out here. That's illegal. I just want you to know. And then the next round he plays, he would be without that information. That's the way I would have handled it. However, since it was the last round of the tournament, and Matthew Fitzpatrick still thought he had a chance to win. He's playing against a guy who he knows has an illegal edge. So it's a double-edged sword. My instincts were I couldn't rat on anybody like that, but I would make sure that they were aware that what they did was illegal. And at that point, maybe they call a penalty on themselves. That's the way I would have done it. Right. That's a great way of, of putting it, and I totally okay. agree with you. Uh, it is a dumb rule again. Isn't Fitzpatrick the guy who uh, is this not? This is not his first situation with something like this, right? Am I thinking of the right guy? I don't know. I don't remember. He, uh, he's, no, listen, he's a great player. He won the Open. No, I get that. But uh, won the uh, British Open. There's a lot of great uh, guys, so golfers who are creeps. Well, I mean, listen, this is the way they're brought up. You're supposed to. This is a self policing situation. Yeah. If you see a player who's skirting the rules and you're and you're playing it like like it should be played then you, you should have a beef about it all right let's move on to the last thing and it's my thoughts on the nil which is now coming into the wild wild west last week matt rule who's the coach of nebraska who doesn't have really have a good quarterback because it's it's chubba purdy the uh, the lesser talented brother of brock so they're saying that he might be in the more the, the alumni are saying you need to get a quarterback at a transfer portal Rule said last week, you know, you people, do you understand that the quarterback in the transfer portal is going to cost at least $2 million? And this is the state of college football these days. The really good quarterbacks that are lured to a certain uh, school get upwards of $7, 8000000 million. The guy who's the starting quarterback for Texas went to Ohio State and was lured to Texas with $8 million of NIL money. Uh, I just saw today where Kyle McCord, the starting quarterback, the Ohio State Buckeyes, the kid from St. Joseph's Prep, has put his name in the transfer portal because they didn't guarantee that he would be the starter next year. Now, Kyle McCord is going to go to a team that's a contending college football team, and he's going to make a lot of money. And that is the state. And I'm not so sure people realize it, that now it's pay for play. And uh, – a quarterback at position is the is the ultimate. So if you're raising a little skippy out there and he plays football, don't make him a running back. Don't make him a, a, a tight end. Make him a damn quarterback and make sure he tees on frozen calf liver to get his protein. All right. <laughs> All right. That's going to do it for today. Well, Mike Unleashed. Let's close it out. Thank the great people of Bet Rivers and my 5-0 and Sterling Week. 
five and oh, you 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 creeps out there who got trying to go against the king of predictions. Come on now, Mark Schlereth is in the contest. Come on, stink. You you got to up your game. I went five and oh. Anyway, later in the week we will have another podcast for our preview of the big Cowboys game, biggest game of the year. We've now gotten three really big games: the Buffalo Bills the San Francisco 49ers, and the Dallas Cowboys. If that game on its face is not big enough, the, the ramifications of this game, uh, what's at stake, huge. You know, uh, you know so it, it's game, been exhausting. Again, late bro. afternoon, Sunday afternoon. Because of all, all the thought we have to put in each week for these big games. Just imagine. Now, people, because they, the Eagles looked exhausted in the second half on Sunday. They really did. The whole defense looked tired, particularly. Even the offense looked tired. They just looked exhausted. They were out of it. Uh so, you know, people out there feel for us, you know, those us broadcasters that have to work hard for these big game after yeah. big game after big game. It's tough for us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're not feeling it. They're not feeling it for us at all. Uh, yeah. But it's OK. Uh, we bring you the info. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Uh, tell your friends and neighbors, just download it and subscribe to it. And you get it for free in your inbox every week. It is the Mike Vesnelli podcast brought to us by Bet Rivers. You can check me out uh, on Twitter at MikeMiss25. You can email me, Mike at MikeMiss.com. It's, uh, it's holiday season. And I want to like to make a big push for my children's book. It'd be a great little stocking stuffer for your little child. Uh, just learning to read, or you can read it to them. Uh, the Adventures of Shima the Shiba. You can get it on Amazon.com. And also, don't forget Cameo.com. Put in my name, Mike Missinelli. I will give you a personal shout out. Yes, a little holiday message. I spread the good tidings all over the Delaware Valley. All right, everybody, have a great rest of the day. Have a great week. We will catch you later in the week on the Mike Missinelli Podcast. Catch you then. Bye-bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Mike Missinelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider.